Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, welcome on. We lied to you yesterday. We're not going to finish up the 15 and 60 today because there are too many awesome games that we wanted to talk about. And tomorrow's slate is kind of boring. So we're going to finish up 15 and 60 tomorrow. Also, Hollinger and Duncan is out. I know you saw it in your feed here, but please subscribe to that on your favorite podcast player, Hollinger and Duncan. Just search that iTunes link along with some nice reviews are pinned to the top of my Twitter profile as well at Nate Duncan NBA. So make sure you're checking that out. I had a great response to that. So you are missing out if you have not subscribed to that yet. Reviews, Twitter comments, always appreciated there as well. All right, after that intro, let's get rolling. All right, our first true gamer of the season. We're not going to try and do every game, but the ones that, that we really focused on. A lot of interesting stuff here. And let's start with a game I was absolutely fascinated to watch because of the contrast in styles. And that was Philly and Atlanta. The thing I enjoyed the most about this game was the matchup of Trey Young against the Sixers defense. Hawks put up 40 in the first quarter. Young went crazy. He had scored nine points right away on two threes and three free throws that he got on Josh Richardson. He had one just ridiculous crossover on Richardson to break his ankles into a three. And then those are the only two threes that he hit all game. And the Hawks ended up barely breaking 100 points for the game, despite the 40-point first quarter and despite a, a pretty fast pace as the Sixers defense took their toll. But the matchup between Trey and Josh Richardson, I thought was just, and the overall Sixers defense, some of the stuff that they were trying to do on him that eventually wore him down by the end of the game, I, I thought was just awesome to watch. It was, and I, I thought that kind of culminated in the end of the game when the the Hawks, part of the reason they ended up losing this game when they, they had a lead for, for such a long time in the fourth quarter was they just don't really have a half court bread and butter. And granted, a lot of teams bread and butter in the half court is going to fall to pieces with well, the seven. Well, well I, I disagree with you. I think they have a great bread and butter. It's called Trey Young. It worked great against the Magic. He scored the last eight points, but Philly is just too good. Yeah, that, 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 and that's where I was getting to is that even a good bread and butter can fall apart against Philadelphia's defense with, especially with their just the ridiculous length and the, the defenders that they can put out there. It, they can, they can yeah. separate teams from what they yeah. want to do. Adding Batiste Thibault to this team is just unfair defensively. Well, yeah, I mean, there were, there was a moment even before it really started to kick in. I think it was in the second quarter where Richardson was hounding. And then Thibel just came out of nowhere to steal a, uh, to deflect and then steal a pass to Kevin Herter, defending out at like 35 feet. And he's just sitting there going, this is going to be an absolute nightmare for teams to do. Oh, yeah. Like that, that, I think it was off an offensive rebound. They tried to throw it back to the top. Another deflection that Thibel had was just someone I think it might have been DeAndre Hunter was dribbling up the left side of the floor and Thibel just decides oh I'm gonna just go steal the ball from him but he like made that decision 40 feet away and just ran him down and took it away he just knew that Hunter was just never gonna see him if he came from his his blind side and he, he just makes plays like that it's very impressive yeah and we'll have to see whether Thibel can make enough shots to keep opponents there I mean there's also the theory is just that the Sixers defense is so good they can create some transition looks and and maybe get enough that way and Thibel had a couple of threes early on he finished two of eight from the field two of seven from three but I mean the disruption defensively is just genuinely impressive and yeah he is an older rookie but any rookie being this effective early on is is just stunning to me yeah at least uh, as you mentioned uh on the defensive end the yes, offense yes, yes. A, a little bit of a work in progress uh he shot two out of seven from three lloyd pierce did the thing that he loves to do against the sixers remember how last year it seemed like he basically ended markel fultz's time with the sixers by just hilariously not guarding him and it, he was doing that with Ben Simmons, he was doing that 
with Thibel and Thibel did hit two out of seven you know it wasn't terrible he's and he's shooting him with no hesitation at least by the way Thibel four steals and two blocks in 20 minutes although he was a, a negative 12 uh, because they scored pretty poorly when he was on the floor um the other thing that they tried to do on Young was just deny him every single time he didn't have the ball even in the backcourt they would even double team him in the backcourt and just get it out of his hands and then try to not let him get, get him back and and it's good to see Josh Richardson with a lower offensive load this year so he can really just concentrate on that kind of stuff and then they went to Thibel and then down the end they went to Ben Simmons when Richardson had five fouls so pretty nice luxury to be able to throw those three guys remember Simmons shut down D'Angelo Russell last year in the playoffs against someone of Young's caliber and I thought Young did about as well as he could have and if he had hit a couple of floaters late it would have been a different game and they probably would have won he was only one out of six around the rim as well Joel Embiid also has a, a little something to say about that Sixers defense uh they even oh, wait, went what, to what? a zone press although the Hawks broke that pretty easily with Young throwing over the top but yeah, oh sorry, yeah that, be- that beautiful pass was that to Bruno Fernando yeah I think to- so yeah yeah that was that was gorgeous uh something else on Thibault I forgot that this is in the hustle stats eight deflections in 20 minutes and 11 seconds yeah and Brett Brown was talking about how like the ridiculous number of deflections he was getting in practice other problem for the Hawks that would be Joel Embiid 36 points 12 of 19 10 of 10 from the foul line Five assists, did have seven turnovers. That was, has always been Embiid's bugaboo. Did all that in 33 minutes. Embiid had the, what ended up being the game winning play. Uh, we'll talk about the end of the game a little bit later, but, uh, where he posted up on John Collins and got fouled to hit the game winning free throws that way. But he just put the entire Hawks front line in foul trouble by the end of the first half. John Collins had three, Alex Len had three, and Damian Jones, poor Damian Jones, had four fouls <laughs> in the first. I mean, it, he was, if he just was forced to guard Joel Embiid continuously, Damian Jones would fall out in six possessions. Yeah, I mean, he, he did Maybe play. even five if he, like, you know, got some kind of off-ball foul fighting for position and then fouled yeah, again and it was on a the same possession. Foul. Yeah, and... and- I, I wish that personal fouls drawn was a more accessible stat because I, I just think it's such a great, like, cause whether it produces free throws or not, there's still value to it because it gets teams in the bonus. It gets guys in foul trouble and Embiid with had nine fouls drawn in this game. That actually isn't, is the same number as Trey Young, but Trey Young is an amazing foul drawer and it also kind of changed some of the things that Atlanta had to do defensively. Embiid also eviscerated John Collins with uh, maybe the dunk of the year. Uh, I will say that Embiid, he's not like the greatest dunker, but when he can load up, he just destroys guys. And you remember what he did to Russell Westbrook a couple of years ago when Westbrook tried to take a charge on him. Uh, So, and then he picked up a taunting foul, which, uh, a taunting technical, which, if you want to ensure that the broadcast shows the replay of your dunk, you could just taunt the other team and get a technical right after that. But of course, they probably could have used that point and almost lost uh, because he did get the technical, which, you know, I guess is kind of the point of basketball instead of showing off and doing awesome dunks, much as I hate to admit it, you are supposed to win. Uh, I, I prefer just taunting being more legal personally, but uh, oh well. Um, it, yeah, and I thought Embiid just, he did a lot of it physically, just uh, dominating, drawing fouls posting up hard around the room he did shoot two of six from three which is fine if he could do that every game just space the floor just enough i think that's uh something i wanted to talk about with that with Embiid, not as much the threes but some of the twos that he took Embiid, i I, i'm a little bit frustrated and it might just be you know the nature of his game that yeah terrible shot selection by the way 12 out of 15 on twos i mean but still if you cut out a couple of those like he had a pull i'm sorry i i misspoke 10 out of 15 on 10 out of 15 like he he had like this one pull up deep two with like 17 seconds on the shot clock. And I was just pulling my hair. I mean, he's an incredible player. And with a lot of guys, I mean, I've talked about this before with the Steph Curry behind the back, one handed passes, like that kind of stuff. Sometimes you can't separate out the player from those, you know, the like five percent of their worst shots. But I just every once in a while with Embiid, maybe in particular, especially because of his turnover propensity, like the, the he has a couple of plays in almost every game. And that, that just drives me a little bit crazy. But that's, if, he, if you're producing the net impact that he does, and maybe you just can't reconcile, you just can't separate that out. For the Sixers, you really did not feel Al Horford and Tobias Harris at all in this game. Now, part of that is because Harris went one out of nine from three on some pretty good looks. And the Sixers, I mean, the, the Hawks three-point defense 
has just been pretty lucky so far i think opponents were shooting 23 percent coming in and now that's really risen up because the sixers managed 27 percent 11 out of 41 they're getting a lot of open looks part of, some of them by design but a lot of, i mean you're not leaving tobias harris wide open intentionally so uh, the sixers really outplayed the hawks by a ton hawks only got up 27 three-pointers could have helped themselves by hitting a few more free throws but uh, overall i thought that the sixers i mean they're a better team they should win easily and with normal three-point shooting uh they would have been a relatively comfortable victory but yeah i mean all these support guys ben simmons as well you just didn't really feel them at all at horford in particular to me played a lot of backup center you know quinn only played six minutes so this was a game where horford was playing a fair amount of backup center he had 32 minutes but offensively even when he wasn't scoring he was really involved with boston with all those dho's and then popping out to three whereas just where does he stand he did have four offensive rebounds and four blocks so i, I mean he had a, a good defensive game to be sure but you know only two assists as well and they're just it's kind of like man like it is tough to do a lot of motion-based offense with Embiid when so much of it is getting it in the post and then you've also got Ben Simmons who you got to keep happy he also wants to post up or he's going to just stand somewhere and muck up your spacing uh you know those two guys it's tough to play a motion-based game especially now when you take away Redick and you don't have the element of him coming off the screens you know that's something that you could always run with Embiid they don't really have that anymore so uh, it's going to be I don't think we're going to see these games other than the ones where just their defense leads to like massive runouts and transition where the Sixers are just killing teams offensively. I mean, again, this is a 98 offensive rating for the Sixers in this one. Yeah, that is definitely something worth watching. And I believe Queen in the Glass already has this in, but for right now, what I, the stats that I'm seeing, Philly has a bot, they have the 24th ranked half court offense in the NBA right now. And that's not a, that's not completely shocking to me. I mean, I think they can be better than that. Yeah. Maybe they can Embiid be, didn't play one of the games, of course. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think they can be better. But, but than that was also their best offensive game. It was. So the, I mean, there'll be a lingering question for this entire season is can they do enough that when we get into the best of the best, you know, Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals, theoretically, if they get through that, whoever it is in the, in the NBA Finals, can that kind of overall balance work? And then that also leads into like the lingering year long questions, something that I'm just having trouble with so far. And I'm probably going to take this whole year to figure out, which is John Collins. Like, talented offensive player, he is his shot is looking better. That was something I noted last year, and then he, he made only one three, but he looked really comfortable shooting it. Another 16 points and eight rebounds. But my question is, what is he on the next great Hawks team? Is he the Amari Stoudemire type player, where he's so dominant offensively that you need another defender around him and it works? Or, I mean, I, I, I'm just having trouble piecing that together. Well, he just hasn't been dominant enough offensively in these that's first also three true. games. You know, I mean, we just haven't seen him. You know, he hasn't been that 20 and 10 guy. I mean, that's where it's got to start for him to be really efficient and you know he said hey can he take more of a step forward as far as no longer being just a play finisher but he hasn't even really been set up that many now the way that the Sixers play defense that's a lot harder I mean this is a really good defense they also played against Orlando that's a good defense so they are going to have more chances to feast uh, on some easier opposition so I'm not writing him off yet but you know it doesn't appear so far that he's made this next huge step forward and as you mentioned he'll, he'll be extension eligible this summer and it'll be a really interesting to see where they go a few more notes on some of their players they're starting Hunter and Reddish together Reddish just kind of eh, he's just out there but you know he's not he doesn't look like he's killing him. I mean, he was two out of seven um Again, this matchup with Philly is just very difficult for any kind of a rookie with just the amount of length that they have and the kind of problems that they're going to cause at the basket. He loves this big, huge jump stop, which he's just got to get rid of because they're going to call a travel on that all the time. I've said before, I hate that that's a travel. I mean, what does it matter whether your feet land at the exact same time or not? Like it's still the same number of steps regardless, but that's actually the one thing where they are harsher refereeing in the NBA than they are in college. Because people are like, oh, you can just do whatever you want traveling in the NBA. They've also cut down on, on the travels when you don't put the ball down quickly enough as you're driving. Um, you know, He got posted up a couple of times late by Tobias Harris when Harris decided to finally get assertive. Hunter, the best thing I can say so far is that his three-pointer looks really good. He was uh, two out of four. He's uh, very comfortable taking that three-pointer even on the move a little bit, even off a dribble. 
His hard right-handed drive uh, looks like it's going to be effective. I thought his offensive decision-making is not particularly good, though. He had one play where, admittedly, they were trying to get the two-for-one down at three, but he was open for a three coming off the screen initially. didn't take it, dribbled into a two, and just got blocked by Josh Richardson. It was a a play that had absolutely no chance of working. Um, And then defensively, I think, again, he's got the tools to not be someone who's just going to get run over but i wasn't blown away by his playmaking or athleticism Uh, and i really want to see what this hawks defense looks like you know they have been good these first few games but they also again have been getting incredibly lucky on three-point shooting well a play that stuck out to me was and granted it's a it's a tough piece of opposition hunter was defending ben simmons simmons got the ball a little bit outside the paint but not too far and he just backed his way in just bullied through hunter and hunter will get stronger but remember he's not just like this young freshman who came into the league like he he, it's gonna take him yeah he's 22 already yeah Yeah, i mean so he's gonna have to get stronger and simmons is a a pain in the ass for for guys to guard in that context but there are ben simmonses and and one of the questions about this hawks team is you know how how is this defense gonna work and if hunter is if if he isn't that guy then they're gonna have to find that guy and maybe he will be in time but between that and the john collins questions and everything else it's it's gonna be worth watching and then when kevin herter i think that's also gonna be something that'll be important is when kevin herter can return to the starting five he's at about 20 minutes now he played exactly 20 in had had knee soreness uh exactly yeah Yeah. so i mean i think that will open some things up for them but again what is the theory of this hawks team is it collins at center play offense and kind of damn the torpedoes on defense maybe you put herter in and then pull cam reddish and then you just get a better center than alex lund eventually like this is the time probably for Travis Schlenk to figure all this stuff out because they have all that cap space. Maybe they'll have a good draft pick. Who knows? And I think this is going to be the time for them to figure out what they need most. Yeah, the Alex Len, you mentioned him. The uh, Alex Len Eastern Conference All-Star Express uh, derailed a little bit with five points on two of seven and uh, two missed wide open corner threes that probably could have won the Hawks the game. And it was the last five minutes were fascinating. Trey, as right after I tweeted that he had the best floater in the league, uh, he then missed two floaters and then he set up two Len corner threes, both of which uh, were missed uh, as well. So uh the hawks just could not score down the end they led 98 90 with a little over four minutes left and only scored five points the rest of the way uh a couple notes on some of the other players in the hawks rotation before we talk about the very end of this one which i I thought was noteworthy you mentioned herder on on the minutes limit uh deandre bembry still getting 20 minutes he was out there closing at the end at times uh, for defensive purposes evan turner only playing seven minutes he also suffered from achilles soreness early in the season but it doesn't seem like the whole idea of him being the backup point guard is something that they necessarily have embraced it and they went to a really interesting lineup with herder reddish hunter jabari parker and bruno fernando with young off the floor uh we'll see how those lineups end up doing fernando 16 minutes for him as the primary backup center i thought he looked really good uh so far one of two from three pretty good finisher a little bit undersized but had two block shots he's got some decent mobility looks like he might actually be able to give them semi-decent backup center minutes which was one of our big concerns about them coming into the season that they just didn't have anyone at all at backup center um and jabari had had a, a good couple of games but he missed all four of his two point attempts had a few jabari parker transition defense lapses couple of turnovers he used it, it's kind of a bummer i mean he just doesn't have the same athleticism as he had before the second acl tear where he just if he got the ball going downhill and transition he was really a freight train and now he just especially because i think both of his acl tears happened on kind of pell-mell drives that uh, you know i don't know whether he just doesn't have the athleticism anymore or just doesn't have that same abandon that he used to but he, he's not the same guy which is really a kind of a shame but maybe he can give them something we'll see um you're gonna talk about the end of the game a little bit yeah i actually wanted to give a give a stat uh so deandre hunter made a three-pointer to put the hawks up 98 to 90 with 501 left yeah in the final five minutes the hawks went one for ten from the field zero for four from three they also missed three free throws they were three 
three of six from the line. And um, I mean, just just and I, I think there's credit, a lot of credit for that for that should go to the Philadelphia defense. I thought they they were absolutely excellent. But you know, yeah. it it's it's hard it's hard to win even if you have an eight point lead if you just cannot put the ball in the bucket. Yeah, and uh, as we'll get to the one bucket that they did have in that period was an incredible offensive rebound by John Collins. So Tobias Harris uh, scored a few buckets in ISO. Philly gets up by three. Hawks get a stop with about nine seconds left, down three. Trey Young has it after there's a loose ball scramble. And Lloyd Pierce called a timeout. I didn't care for that timeout. Uh, I thought with, especially when you need a three, the scramble situation can help you. Now, sometimes your players like don't know that you need a three or they'll go for the quick two because they think there's more time than there is. I mean, you do ensure that you can impart to your players that they need a three but also then you allow philly to set up and foul which they did i was surprised they left joel Embiid on the floor i thought they would just switch everything to prevent the three uh, and they had thibel available to come in and do that but they left Embiid in and Embiid actually did a good job of moving his feet and taking the intentional foul on young with about seven seconds left it looked like he was going to break free and then they called the foul young hits the first free throw misses the second and john collins goes between tobias harris and al horford who were you're supposed to pinch there it was that was actually on the strong side they had two guys there the way it's supposed to work is those two guys pinch down on their best offensive rebounder and someone runs in from the three-point line and blocks out the shooter and they just let collins go right between them right to the front of the room he tips in uh to tie it but then philly ran an awesome play out of the ato and bead posting up on collins that was the matchup for pierce and b couldn't or, or collins couldn't handle Embiid. They threw it in, nice high-low action to Embiid, and Collins had no choice but to foul on Embiid. Uh, excellent free-throw shooter for a big hit, too, and then the Hawks really couldn't get any kind of a look coming back there out of timeouts there. Uh, and An- another another down. reason not to necessarily use the timeout with nine seconds to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, I think at that point you do whatever gives you the best chance to sure, score. Of I mean, I think you don't know. You don't know how it's going to play out. Right. Um. Yeah, although Seth had a great point on Twitter, which is part of the reason why you don't go to the big is because if he misses now it's better when Atlanta didn't have any timeouts left but if you try to go to the big you don't have the option really of just running the time down right they throw it to him follow him there's still five seconds left uh now granted he scored but if he doesn't score then you're leaving time on the clock it's hard to fix it so the big gets the chance at the end and you make sure there's no time left you kind of well, got that, to that's, the guard the, that's kind of the argument for hero ball is yeah. that you can control the time element yeah when it's tied i definitely think that you know the hero ball uh, I, i'm more into that if you're down i don't really care for the hero ball um anything else on this one no, I think that's I think that's pretty good. It was it was a really fun game, and I, I would say overall, I don't know if you agree with me. I feel a little bit better about the Hawks. Sure. Then I mean they look especially like that first quarter they just looked so dynamic, and it wasn't a surprise to see the Sixers clamp down a little bit. And you know the the idea that you and I have talked about is like really how different are these Hawks? And I, I thought they looked a lot better. And Trey, I mean that first quarter he was just electric. Yeah, and just the lengths to which this great defensive team needed to go. This will be a good learning experience for him. He did have seven turnovers but uh, i mean the way that he has warped defensive and you remember like brad stevens had to go to a zone against him last year like he's pretty legit i mean he's actually going to shoot over 50 percent from three the rest of the year um and to take a hold into only five was pretty impressive by philly um but yeah i mean i want to see this hawks team uh, this is my first full game watching them philly is just such a weird opponent to play against with Embiid and simmons and this amazing defense and they're pretty mediocre shooting like it's almost like it used to be with the warriors where it's just tough to judge what a team's going to look like against normal nba competition if they go against philly because they just have so many weird weaknesses and strengths uh, that they just make the game totally different all right let's talk to you about our friends at indochino back when i was a lawyer had to wear suits all the time still due to the odd game or wedding or a tuxedo to my own wedding and i wish when i was trying to spend a thousand dollars on suits and getting suits that still didn't fit me back in the early part of this decade that i had known about indochino they are the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand that makes suits, shirts, coats, and more to your exact measurements for a great fit. And you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, your lining, you get your own monogram, and they're affordable. Almost all their custom clothing is under 400 US dollars. 
Start your style upgrade now at $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more when you go to Indochino.com and enter that familiar Capspace code at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code Capspace to get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. Great deal for made-to-measure clothing. And don't forget that Capspace code at Indochino.com. Capspace. We talk about all the time in the program. That'll let them know that you came from us. Let's do a quick hitter here on Golden State getting healthy against New Orleans. Derek Favors and Drew Holiday were out. I think you watched a little bit more of this one than me. Uh, I kind of had it on the in the background a little bit, saw some of the plays, uh, as, especially in that first quarter as Golden State took out to a lead. But uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I didn't. I didn't actually watch a ton of it. Now that I'm not, let's call it contractually obligated to watch the Warriors every single game, but I did still keep an eye. And I, I think the biggest takeaway for me was. New Orleans defense, at least in the iteration without Drew Holiday and Derek Favors, just looked terrible. Like the Warriors were getting clean looks a yeah. lot more consistently. Remember when I was like, oh man, New Orleans, like they got a lot of good defenders. Like they, they could be pretty good uh, on defense this year. Well, it, it helps when they actually have those best defenders on the floor. But it does. Yeah, I mean, but, but I also, I think, you know, and granted, Favors said this knee soreness made. That's why he wasn't playing as many minutes. But I probably should have considered that Alvin Gentry has basically never coached good defense, and he always defaults towards offense when it comes to who's going to be on the floor. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And it'll be interesting to see how that how that happens moving forward. But it was a better game for some of the Warriors support players. I mean, a, a portion of this was, of course, in garbage time. But Jordan Poole made a couple of threes early on. He ended up with thirteen. Well, and he started too. I mean, I think that was the biggest yeah. thing. Well, that from yeah, the, Warriors the, the, the tactical shift was. Draymond Green at center not necessarily because this is a wing loaded team like the the when they went to that in the playoffs these last few years because they just don't have any centers with Looney out due to the, the uh neuropathy and Collie Stein with the foot issue Chris and Spellman just shouldn't play that many minutes and so you know Draymond and and the other thing with Draymond who had a triple double in this game is he is best served being around the basket he is their best rim protector so especially when the other team doesn't really have the personnel to exploit what he does I mean we've run into this in the modern NBA when a team can put Draymond like the most extreme here is Ryan Anderson like he was just much less effective so putting him closer to the basket helps and also the Pelicans did not have the personnel to exploit his weaknesses offensively as much that's part of how he got the 10 assists yeah i mean i think really a lot of it was it gave kerr a chance to be like hey you know you're not gonna have to bang too much jill for only only played 12 minutes there they play ingram at the four like you can just get away with this lineup and to just finally get some more shooting on the floor but again this is a very young very weak pelicans defense um the warriors eventually led by 30 Pels outscored him by 13 and put up 44 in the fourth quarter to make the final score respectable. Uh, but this was a complete blowout. Jackson Hayes did nothing in the first half, but it, he actually played in the second half and ended up with 19 points, had some efficient finishing around the rim. Uh, Brandon Ingram continues to shoot the through well four of nine from downtown. Uh, one thing that I noted about him is that he's actually, other than shooting the three where he's uh, over 50% for the year, or actually, no, I'm sorry, he's right at 50% now for the year, but he, I mean, he's taking like seven or eight a game, which is outstanding, but he's actually getting to the foul line in the rim much less than he did before. Uh, he had 27 points on 25 shooting possessions in this game. Again, a lot of that ended up being late. Uh, another thing too is just, you know, the Warriors shot 40% from three, 14 out of 35 after being five out of 33 the previous game. And while the Pels eventually made it respectable, they shot 20% from three in the competitive portion of the game. So, and the Warriors have been giving up like crazy 50 percent three-point shooting which was not going to sustain so they're always going to look a little bit better and this is the perfect opponent to get healthy against d'angelo russell had his best game as a warrior with 24 points but my issue with d'angelo is always you know this is the good game right 24 points on 9 to 21 from the field is the good game for d'angelo russell and then he has the bad game too he doesn't he never has the crazy game you know like stuff did today where he's 26 points on 17 shots right it's 24 points on 21 shots is the good game and then the bad game is some of the bad games he's been having uh and damian lee also at 23 points for the Warriors. all right um bulls knicks yeah bulls knicks a game that i soured on quickly because of how just 
awful the Knicks looked in their starting five, but then breaking the trend of their first couple games, they came back roaring in the fourth quarter with a 33 to 18 fourth, which gave them a 105-98 win. Key part of it, revenge game for Bobby Portis, not his most recent team, but his longest tenured team. He came off the bench and played 30 minutes, 10 of 14 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3, 4 of 5 from the line, 11 rebounds, and remarkably, a plus 31 in a game his team won by 7. Yeah, he actually really got them stabilized a little bit because, as you mentioned, that starting lineup, which you know, might be their players with the best pedigree. You know, you understand the theory of all these individual players being in the starting lineup, but together they all fit terribly. So Alfred Payton has won the point guard derby. Dennis Smith is away from the team due to a an unexpected death in his family. And Mitchell Robinson is their big center prospect. Julius Randle was the, the guy they signed to be their starting power forward. Marcus Morris is their only three and d guy rj barrett was the number three overall pick this year you understand why all those guys are in there for pain we need a point guard but then you look at it and oh yeah morris might be the only guy who has any kind of three-point shooting and i mean you just look at the number of attempts those five players combine for eight three-point attempts over the course of the game and so you just don't have enough shooting on the floor and that's what portis provided with his four or four three-point shooting as you said uh even kevin knox uh, came in towards the end and hit a couple of big threes to get them back into it in the fourth and they led or the bulls led 98 90 again with about four minutes left and then never scored the rest of the game they have blown two games the charlotte game being the other with just execrable crunch time offense they really just could not get any kind of a shot you know the knicks were doing uh, playing better defense doing more switching uh they took peyton off the floor they put took robinson off the floor they had knox and portis out there down the end to get more shooting on the floor and rj barrett was in high pick and roll with randall bulls put two on the ball he found randall randall dimed up portis for a couple of corner threes as the knicks made their comeback and that was a pretty successful formula for them down the end something that struck me in watching the games kind of concurrently was that i think there are times when rj barrett reminds me of d'angelo russell in that they're both capable passers that have advantages but just don't beat their guy that often and barrett has a big advantage that he's just a lot bigger And also, I think Barrett brings more to the table as a rebounder and some of the other things. He's not quite the passer that Russell is. But that is what just is going to make me a little bit queasy about Barrett for a while. And that is, there have been players, I mean, D'Angelo Russell made an all-star team. There have been players that have succeeded despite my misgivings in this respect. But it'll be interesting to see if, and I mean, that's why shooting is the swing skill for RJ Barrett. But whether, whether that holds true or whether he can add more to his game, maybe that's a little bit more shiftiness with his handle or getting a little bit bit stronger becoming getting a little bit more of that Kawhi, where it's like yeah maybe i'm not going to get past you but at least i can get to my spot every time but those kind of questions are going to be there for rj and it's also not helped by him being in almost exactly the worst circumstance to make life easier on him it's the opposite of what we talked about marco fultz playing against the Cavs in the first game where they don't have a good they don't have a good help protection and all that kind of stuff like i mean he it's going to be hard to even if barrett is better than than we think he is it's going to be hard for us to know that definitively over the next couple of years especially well, this year yeah and i think when, when you look at how few lineups they can get to where they can actually run that theory we talked about with their main guys uh at the end where he was able to be effective i think it's pretty good you know they haven't played against uh, some incredible row of great defenses right san antonio brooklyn boston chicago and Barrett, by the way, is averaging like 38 minutes a game. That's uh, That may be a little unsustainable. Uh, certainly, Fisdale really believes in him, and, and he's proved worthy of that so far. But you know, watch out for the rookie wall there if you're going to play him 38 minutes a game the rest of the year. Even in a total blowout against Boston, he played the 37 minutes. Um, so, I mean, I think to the extent that I am feeling like my pre-draft evaluation of him was wrong after these four games, it's that his strength and athleticism is translating a little bit better than I thought it would, again, against some teams that don't have great matchups for him. But because they're playing him at the two, he's usually going to have the size advantage on his guy. He's able to go through guys a lot more if there isn't a great rim protector. The rebounding, which we love, translated, he had 15 rebounds, including six on the offensive glass. Knicks had 25 offensive rebounds in this game, 46% offensive rebounds overall, which uh, was pretty unacceptable from Chicago's standpoint. Um, And then the passing has looked pretty good. Defense, I thought it could be 
solid enough uh, and that's been fine the the thing that i am very much in wait and see mode about is the shooting particularly from three i mean he was he was 511 from the free throw line tonight he could have had an even better night um and i am i I think he has worked on his right hand like that's very clear i think that he is making his shot a little bit more compact a little bit more square to the basket not quite as hitchy you know that looks better he clearly works extremely hard on his game you got to give him credit for that so uh, i'm definitely feeling better about him as the the number three pick so far uh is he gonna be the next great superstar i'm not sure about that zach lowe was like oh barrett looks really good i'm not gonna quite go that far yet um you know it's only four games in but certainly he has done everything you reasonably could have hoped for as a nick fan at this point agreed and it's just going to take time to see if they can build a team around around him and the nice thing about that with barrett other than the idea of what what kind of point guard do you want is that the general conceits are the same you know getting guys that can shoot getting guys that can defend and then you you work it all out from there and the knicks will have resources to do that not only with their own draft picks but also the stuff from the porzingis trade and everything else from the bulls perspective this is to me an immensely disappointing game it's one that they oh yeah that they, I mean, they, they led should. 33 to 15 at the uh, after the first quarter i mean they, the knicks turned it over on 26 percent of their possessions in the first half like this should have been uh an easy win and their offense just completely destructed in the second half it destructed and also like there were some really favorable elements wendell carter just had to square up guys to block shots in the early going because the Knicks have no shooters. I thought he looked better there. Yeah, no, and, he, he's looked really good defensively. He had yeah, three blocks in this game. Tougher, he, he still gets too many fouls, but uh, yeah, and he also had 20 points on seven to nine in this game too. Mm-hmm. Cody White, Kobe, sorry. Kobe White only played 16 minutes. Yeah, Frank, Frank Nilakina made his life kind of difficult. Oh, yeah. I, 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 there was this moment in time when Frank Frank and Chris Dunn were both in, and I, I realized that both of their, like, superpower is making other guards look bad, and so having them, they obviously weren't guarding each other because they don't need the help to look bad offensively. But I, I enjoyed the, the duality of it, and it kind of reminded me with Kobe White of when Nikhil did a really nice job on him in Summer League for, I think, like, two of the three quarters that they were squared up in that Summer League game. Yeah, but, and, but by the way, though, I mean, they're not... Kobe White has, has to create a lot in ISO right now. I mean, right. because he's playing almost all of his minutes with Chris Dunn. So they don't have any spacing. They like they can't really get him in high pick and roll a lot. I mean, he, and he's got some good moves uh, as an ice guy. I mean, he did get a couple of good looks against Nilakina, but they're asking him to do a lot. He's come back to earth these last two games. Yeah, how Jim Boylan structures his rotations, I think, is going to be really important. And I mean, whether it's you know going with more of, like not going with more of a bench bob, or at least playing Cody White more with the starters, where I think he could he could thrive a little bit more. That'll be notable. And then also, how does that work with Zach Levine, who is a very ball dominant player in his own right? Yeah, and the Levine centric offense down the end hasn't been working. I mean, he got Ugh. it. He got to the lane a couple of times and just like airballed a couple of left-handed layups, uh, like finger rolls, which was a little odd. But the bigger problem for the Bulls is just that Thaddeus Young has been their best three-point shooter right now, which is encouraging for Young, but not good for the overall team. Nine out of thirty-five in this game, and they are shooting well under thirty percent from three for the season. They're getting up a, a in the mid thirties in attempts every game. So those who are concerned that Jim Boylan uh, was going to play this uh rock ball style can probably feel okay about that and then again larry marketing just uh, had like a couple of open threes that, that could have really made a difference he was two out of six tonight but uh as we mentioned yesterday it hasn't been hanging he was five out of 13 i it really seems like he still does much better when you're going against the combo forward type rather than a guy who's actually uh his size he also had got his shot just completely erased by mitch robinson um on the Knicks side real quick julius randall surprisingly inefficient again i think he's struggling with the lack of spacing that they have but i don't know that he necessarily needs to be like this automatic guy in the closing lineup every time i'd like to see mitchell robinson get some more reps there i'd like to see them spread the floor a little bit more for barrett robinson only had 18 minutes and he did hit a jump shot however uh which uh was pretty remarkable people they've been talking up his jump shot i was trying threes i thought he had one of the uglier looking jump shots i've ever seen for a guy shooting around last year when i saw him in golden state uh but he actually hit like a little baseline jumper which is noteworthy because that's as many jumpers as he hit all last season uh well so and with randall he did have some important assists late but he also turned the ball over eight times in this game and 
sure had plenty of touches yeah. had and five out of 13 too i mean that's is he's just bullying into eight guys and yeah he, he can pass it every once in a while but yeah i mean it's just getting when he gets collapsed on it's pretty ugly well and especially if they're if the knicks are going to play rj barrett with the ball in his hands a lot and i mean alfred payton left i believe was hamstring tightness maybe they'll maybe they'll change oh really okay bit. i didn't i didn't see that yeah yeah well that, that, that's fine they're better off having RJ well and that's that's exactly what i was getting at is is the idea of maybe they have too many ball handlers kind of like too many not too many cooks because they don't really cook that much but that just getting this dynamic right and randall while you could make a, a sound argument that he's one of the more talented players in the abstract he just he, he like if you pulled him and like even if you swapped in Knox or ellington it's just I think that the overall mixture would just be better. And it's not that he's the culprit or, or anything necessarily. It's just that it makes it makes more sense with the other pieces, especially if you're treating RJ Barrett as a non-negotiable, which they absolutely should because he has played so well. Last thing here, this isn't necessarily related to this game, but as we see some of these young players, remember Morant had that awesome 30-point game last night. Barrett's looked really good so far. I think it's important to remember the incredibly high offense environment in which we're operating right now. And I think if anyone has any kind of ability as a prospect, it makes it difficult because if you like them, and this applies to me too, obviously, but it applies to fan bases perhaps even more so. If you like the guy or you want to see him do well, it's pretty hard to not have some good games especially if you're just a guy who's getting a lot of reps on the ball this is a high offense environment right i mean you're it's not that hard to score 20 points anymore and so you got to really look closely at how guys are doing that how consistent they are how projectable they are and really compare them to the best people in the league because you know every team is going to have a 20 point score at this point in time for a lot of teams those are young guys that they're trying to develop i mean rj barrett is playing 38 minutes a game and he's their main creator right i mean so he's going to get plenty of chances here we'll see what he does with it he's been doing a good job so far but not just for him but for so many of these guys and you really got to look at okay is this player driving efficient offense for the team more than ever and sometimes it's very difficult because they're on these shitty teams rj barrett's in a terrible situation uh, in terms of the spacing he's dealing with offensively and all the other mouths to feed there so that's just something to keep in mind and that i'm going to try and keep in mind is like hey you know what like everybody's going to have good games where like colin sexton had a bunch of awesome games on the end of last year you know we'll see how he does this year uh bucks took care of cleveland tonight 129 112 by the way um so you know donovan mitchell is another one right i mean he's still such a debate about him how many times he has the ball in his hands as the primary creator for utah where he's going to put up some numbers in this fast-paced era where it's uh, offense efficiency is as high as it's ever been and so um it does make that evaluation difficult because everybody's going to flash to some degree, especially when we're still comparing them to just our normal benchmarks of, you know, 20 points is a good game type of thing. Are right, you going to talk Sacramento and Denver? Yeah, I so a couple of different things with this one, and this is not the first time it's happened. I, I believe this happened last year. Denver's offense just looks a little bit out of sync and out of sorts. Yeah, and well, that'll happen when Nikola Jokic gets in foul trouble and only scores right. nine points. Right. Yeah, and it, it, and also, I mean, I rem- from what I recall, even he wasn't necessarily dealing with foul trouble every time beginning last year. It took a little bit for them to really get everything right, but. Another part of that was uh, kind of another takeaway for me was Sacramento, I think, overall looked more like themselves in this game. They, you know, they did, they did still lose 101 to 94, but they were more competent defensively. And I mean, yeah, some guys missed shots, but they, they didn't, they didn't get, just get waxed. Like you and, you and John Hollinger talked about that well in the, uh, the podcast that you guys put out on Sunday. And, I think I you felt- subscribe to that, by the way. Hollinger and Duncan search, search for that in, uh, your favorite podcast player. And yeah, I mean, Bielitsa playing 35 minutes, probably not what Vlade Divac had intended when he put this team together, Bagley being hurt and everything else. But he also probably did intend for Rashawn Holmes to drop 24 points in 30 minutes and 24, 13. Sorry, I should mention the rebounding as well. So yeah, I mean, Denver winning, not a, not a huge surprise, but I would say parts of this were a little bit surprising. Yeah, it turned out to be a little bit of a slugfest at the end. The Kings shot it really well on threes. It never a huge volume team from three, although a little bit more so now with Bielitsa starting in place of Marvin Bagley, who's out for a while still with that hand injury. But then they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Buddy Heald really struggled. There's two games in a row where he has been pretty atrocious. Five turnovers, five fouls, five points. Greg Popovich, uh, says DeJounte Murray's on the 5-5-5-5 plan in terms of the number of minutes that he's going to play his since this is not as good of a 5-5 plan uh for Buddy Heald and 
one of six from three just made made a lot of weird decisions was forcing it um that was a problem you mentioned holmes and he was awesome offensively he also completely ended will barton on a dunk at the end of the game which uh, briefly got the kings within three they could have gotten a stop and a chance to tie it but then jamal murray hit a, a iso jumper with about 30 seconds left to put denver up five and end the game uh but one of the big problems with holmes is his defensive rebounding and denver had 44 percent offensive rebounds in this game especially during the first half when Jokic and murray were out with foul trouble the kings were down 12-3 then they took a nice lead close to 10 points early in the second quarter and then denver mason Plumley had a nice game other than his one airballed lefty hook shot uh jeremy grant like those guys were really killing him on the on the offensive glass when you've got Bielita, Barnes is a pretty crappy rebounder. Sometimes they pit, play Bogdanovich at the three. That's pretty small. Holmes, I mentioned, Deadman's only okay on the defensive glass. He struggled again with foul trouble tonight. So the, I mean, that's the biggest difference is they couldn't get a rebound. They gave out 19 offensive rebounds in the end. Something else to kind of file away. I continue to like the minutes when Jeremy Grant plays with Jokic. I think that those two will, will find a chemistry. And they, they can take time. They don't need to, you know, Malone doesn't need to just throw out Millsap and everything else that they built over the last year. But again, like I had talked about this a little bit with the Hawks, you have to be thinking about the long-term too. Grant, presumably, and Paul Millsap are both going to be unrestricted free agents this year i want to keep an eye on it but i've been liking the grant Jokic minutes a lot yeah uh, and i think uh, Jokic. It was a struggle for him tonight, as mentioned, 0 of 5 from 3. And that's kind of the swing for him. Uh, Morris and I talked about on their preview pod that like that's really the number one thing that he can do this year to open up the offense. But yeah, it didn't look like that incredible Jokic ball. We haven't seen a ton of assists from him yet. Only two assists in this uh, second round did a pretty nice job of covering up some of those back doors, some of those DHOs that they like to run. Gary Harris did have a nice game. His three-pointer looks a bit better. Will Barton had had an okay start to the year, but then 13 points on 15 shooting possessions tonight. They did go to Will Barton's spread pick and roll late. That only really uh, worked okay. Jokic, they did not get him in the post much, and he wasn't able to convert when they did. So I, I, I do have some concerns about this Denver offense. I thought the defense looked pretty good. And the other problem for Denver is they just shot 28% for three. It's really been total feast or famine for them over their three games. They were 16 to 28 in the first game, and then they've been like under 30% the next two games. Um, uh, what else you got on this one? Uh, I actually think that's about all I have on it. All right, I got a, I got a few more notes. Um, Denver, I really liked their approach of going with switching on the second unit when Plumlee is the game. Plumlee's not an amazing switch guy. But especially with Fox out, Sacramento is very hard-pressed to beat switches. You know, Bogdanovich maybe is their best guy on the second unit with that, but that's you know, it's not going to be Corey Joseph. He's more of a defensive player. And Bogdanovich got off to a nice start and then had a, ultimately another nightmare. 2 of 12, he's also got a 1 of 10 game under his belt. So uh, he and Heald being so bad has been a big part of the Kings' struggles. Uh, at least the Kings competed defensively. You, you could feel better about that i do think that they at some point are going to need to get Debman going i also think they just miss uh the scoring and athleticism element that bagley brings we'll see how what he does to their defense ultimately um i echo hollinger's concerns that they miss calling sign running the floor the transition game hasn't been as good um when the kings did look good it was largely because of that aggressive scheme by the nuggets where they get Jokic out on the floor to protect him from going downhill at him where guys can finish around him pretty easily due to his lack of athleticism but that got the kings moving the ball more with two on the ball there that was a big part of why holmes was able to get going early on they got some open threes trevor ariza had three threes in the first including this unbelievable over the shoulder pass from bogdanovich which i encourage you guys to look up uh that was a just a ridiculous pass uh and ariza had his best game of the season but then once they kind of dialed it back a little bit to where they were only stepping up on screens for healed then the kings again had a lot more trouble in the second half and of course you know weren't hitting their threes either and then when the kings did get those switches i've said this before but it bears repeating that so many guys number one when there's a switch of a big they think okay well this is my time to score now when in reality you should take advantage of the fact that everyone is going to be super attuned to helping out this big and also that said big is now not there as a help defender someone else who's not as good at helping is there and drive the ball not necessarily to score but just to 
force an overhelp and get the defense into rotation, which is what switching is supposed to take away to begin with. And then also when that switch occurs, this could be in concert with the first strategy. Go right away. Go immediately. Don't say, okay, this guy switched on to me. I'm going to back out. Let's uh, let the entire defense get set again. Just almost treat it like, even though the guy switched on to you, like it's a regular pick and roll and just go to the basket uh, as the guy steps up, catch him before he can really get into position and set his stance. And then again, you can get that kind of penetration and force help. It really needs to be about the team scoring, not about you when you get that switch. So uh, the Kings did a very poor job of that, admittedly with, you know, not the greatest talent driving the ball. And De'Aaron Fox, you know, 20 points, 7 to 17, but uh, 9 assists. But other than a brief stretch when they were going under on the pick and roll and he hit a couple of threes, you didn't really feel his effect the way you did last year, where it was just like, oh my God, this guy's running it down our throats every time. And that ties in with the other big challenge that I'm not feeling at all better about with the Kings. Yeah, sure, Heald and Bogdanovich have just been missing a ton of shots is the theory of their half-court offense. Like, they, that was the story last year, was they ran so much that their offense looked pretty good, but they weren't a great half-court offense, and that's largely been, the, I mean, the, right now, through at least, as I, I think Clean the Glass includes today's today's game, they have a 75.6 offensive rating in the half court. And it's obviously going to get a whole lot better than that. But if they're, let's say, even bottom 10 in half court offense, it's hard to really push that far beyond that, especially if, as you and I believe, that their defense is not for real, then it's it becomes a very narrow path to success, a path that they did well on last year and that you can do it. And they have better personnel for some other things now, but it is a real concern for me. Yeah, the other thing too is it's hard to run when you're taking the ball out of the net or yep. the other team is getting a ton of offensive rebounds as well. And Denver uh, is a wonderful offensive rebounding team and adding Jeremy Grant has only made that better. Denver's second unit, they did not play Murray as much on the second unit anymore now. And they've got Craig, Grant, and Plumley. Plumley's a little jumpy, but against this team, he's fine. I mean, that front line is pretty difficult to score against now i don't know how the hell they're going to score with craig and and grant and Plumley up front i mean beasley is really your only scorer there but uh you can kind of just go with the like play to a scoreless tie bull second unit idea from back in the Thibodeau era um and you know that worked pretty well against the kings at least tonight all right uh anything else to talk about before we go here yeah i want to talk very briefly about jazz suns that was going on at the same time as kings nuggets which i think we both focused on yeah i, I didn't and see a moment of, of this game it, it was pretty it was pretty fun i mean the general takeaway of phoenix just looking more capable which we talked about a lot on the 15 and actual 60 if you haven't listened to that that they yeah. and elements of that were true baines fouling out late i think did have a did have a swing factor and javon carter keeps hitting threes he was three of seven i mean remember that's the reason ba- it fell baines the draft was, was three of three again like is this guy ever gonna miss a three-pointer again yeah it, it's crazy and so phoenix 13 of 34 and then the jazz struggled and i mean the other just there are a couple lingering stories for the jazz this year i haven't locked in on them all the way yet but mike conley has not shot even 50 percent from the field in any of their four games he was zero for seven in this one he's shooting 24 percent from the field yeah. overall 18 percent from three this season he's been and getting in foul trouble over- a lot i think maybe that's yeah. what's taking not that i saw they've- the game but it seems like it's that's taking him out of rhythm yeah and I- i'm not seeing anything like hugely structurally yeah, i mean he didn't I've look like them. super slow I, the only game of no, theirs no, i've no. seen in full is the lakers game he didn't look slow in that game no, so I, I'm not super concerned about that. And then the other thing is, it's still early. I mean, this was the fourth game for the Jazz, but Rudy Gobert has been incredibly destructive yeah. defensively. There were there were been a couple plays where the Suns had what looked like a clean look, and then the guy either just freaked out because Gobert was there, or it just altered his shot or pass. And the theory of him getting Defensive Player of the Year, I think that that theory is still sound. It, I, it, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Obviously, it's too early to say anything like that, but also because a voter fatigue and everything else but it's a harder it's a much harder job for him this year and through four games i think he's done really well yeah you know i mean really looking at their starting lineup conley has always been a good defensive point guard he's slipped a little but he's not like one of the best anymore but he's he could probably give them about what rubio did a year ago and now they're starting royce o'neill who's uh, arguably a better defender than anyone they were starting last year Ingles is going off the bench bogdanovich is fine he led him with 29 points tonight they, they don't win without him 
So yeah, I mean the Jazz uh, were supposed to be getting. Yeah, yeah, and unlike and unlike Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovich only took thirteen shots from the field to get his twenty nine points, as opposed to Mitchell going nine and twenty four. Yeah. I mean Mitchell still had a huge free throw late and and got to the foul line and a bunch of other stuff. I'm not saying he was bad or anything like that. Just Bogdanovich was was huge. Yeah, and uh, Conley only twenty minutes. So. Um, all right, I'm going to stop talking about a game that I only saw the box score of. But I mean, even looking at that, there's some interesting stuff. Um, and maybe Cam Johnson made a shot. I believe that was his first field goal as an NBA player. Congratulations. Yeah, 13 minutes for him. All right, so we will talk to you all. Sorry we didn't get you the other part of the 15 and 60, but we looked at the schedule, which I probably should have done beforehand, and like, oh, there's a bunch of awesome games today, and there's like no good games tomorrow on Tuesday. So we'll just finish that up for you guys tomorrow. Talk to you all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 